Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. This episode, we have Netflix 208 film from 2020. It's the teen rom-com to all the boys. P.S. I still love you. It's directed by Michael Fimagani. It's Lana Condor, Noah Centineo, Jordan Fisher and Anna Cascart. I'm Jesse and I'm with MJ. How are you? I'm good. Can you just say the name Lana for me again? Lana. Lana. I was. I do this every time. <laughs> I know how to say Noah Centineo now that I don't need to stress about it because we've done too many films with him now that I just know how to say that now. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> well, we have done a few of him. Yeah, you always panic when it comes to the names though. You know how to say them, but when it comes to you reading out the cast list, <laughs> it's always something that pops in your brain. Yep, that's okay. We got there. Lana. 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 <laughs> Whatever she wants to be, she can be. <laughs> so this is obviously uh, a sequel to one of our most popular episodes that we've ever done, the, to all the boys that we loved before. Um, so we're, we're, we're back a couple of years later. Um, we'll see what our thoughts are, are towards the sequel. That's it. I, let's, let's get in early and do a spoiler alert because I, I feel like we're going to spoil this movie pretty quickly. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you have seen it. This is, you know, this is to all the boys. Everyone's seen to all the boys. But if you haven't seen it, you don't want the movie spoiled. We are going to spoil it. Uh, so watch it and then come back to us and you will not be disappointed. Good. Well, now we're going to spoil it. We're going to talk about our fast flicks where we summarize the film. What's your fast flicks for this film? Oh, we, we wander back into the world of Lara Jean as another recipient of her famous love letters re-enters her life. Oh, I like that. That gives some intrigue. That uh, leaves it very open. I like <laughs> it. I like it. Uh, I've just said it's a girl longing for love, finally gets a boyfriend, but has to come to terms with what this actually means. Mm, that's good. Mm. That is very true. Yeah, I like both hours this week. That's, that's a good little take on trying to make a film enticing when it's probably not. So, um, Let's, let's talk. Let's talk about how this film ended up on Netflix. What have you got for us? Yeah, well, like, um, so Je- Jenny Han was the author of the original book that was adapted into the movie that you've just spoken about that we have already covered on the pod. Um, she'd already written a second book, which obviously paved the way for a second movie. The first movie, as a lot of us already know, went gangbusters for Netflix, so it was kind of inevitable that we were going to get this second book adaptation and that's exactly what this movie is. Um, In November of 2018, it was first reported that Netflix and Paramount Pictures' awesomeness films were in discussions to produce this sequel. Uh, And then Netflix announced the development of of the film itself, featuring its stars from the previous film a month later in December. Um, A few months later in March of 2019, it was reported that Michael... In fact, I gave you, I had a go at you for the cast pronunciation. You actually produ- pronounced Michael Fimagnari's surname very no, well no. at the start. <laughs> I'm good, I'm bad. <laughs> There's a bit going on there. Um, he was a cinematographer on the first film. This is his feature film debut. So it's a pretty good jump. He's gone from the, the, oh, the I think he was the, uh, the POD on the first film, but cinematographer to feature film directorial debut with this movie. He took over the original film's director, who was Susan Johnson, but she still remained on the project as an executive producer. And then they started filming. Uh, Principal photography began in Vancouver and the surrounding areas of Vancouver on the 27th of March in 2019. 
Similar to the first film, they filmed all of the high school stuff at Point Bray Secondary School. And then they wrapped filming on the 10th of May 2019. So just under two months of filming. Obviously, they got this had a bit of hype behind it. So they had a nice big reveal with the trailer released on the 19th of December. That also then was the first time they announced that it was going to be released exclusively on Netflix on the 12th of February 2020 unbeknownst at the time, but they were actually filming the third film basically a couple of months after the second film. So they were so happy with the response to the first film that they greenlit two two films straight away. So they began filming that on the 15th of July, 2019. So they hadn't even released the second film, but they'd already gone for the third film. Uh, Obviously won't go too much into that one, but um, we know this is a trilogy. Excellent. Good little summary, yeah. I mean pretty good isn't it you get to spend two months making a movie take two months off and then come back and make another one two months later um <laughs> pretty crazy and then promote them <laughs> and then promote them uh i guess uh, the only other sort of context i'll add a little bit um it was nominated for a few awards it was nominated um for seven altogether one three so um some of these ones that were, i guess the, the big ones it was nominated at the casting society of america for outstanding casting in a non-theatrical release um, at the Leo Awards for Best Production Design in a Motion Picture, the People's Choice Awards for Favourite Comedy Star for Noah Centineo and also for Favourite Comedy Movie there. Um, and then it won the Best Music for a TV Movie at the Guild of Music Supervisors Award. And it also won two awards at the Reframe Awards for Narrative Features, which is um, you know something that you don't often see with the, the Netflix rom-coms that you get a couple of little recognitions here and there for, for some of the work. And the soundtrack was pretty good, um, thinking about it, thinking back a little bit. Um, yeah. What else? I guess I'm mean, part of the, the plot. I guess, and obviously you mentioned it's, it's based on a novel, and I think some disparity between the novel and even the end of the first film, where we, we see John Ambrose. Um, he rocked up on the doorstep right at the end of the film from memory, and he was a white kid, and then in the sequel he rocks up and he's black. And I think um, it's a little bit interesting in that as well. He sent the letter to her in the sequel, almost as if this scene at the end of the first film didn't actually happen, um, which is Oh, they sort completely of ignored it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I think, you know, uh, in the novel, there's a, a character called Stormy, who's a, an older lady who lives in this senior citizen sort of place. And in the book, she's revealed to be John Ambrose's grandmother. Um, but obviously you couldn't do that in the film because you've changed the colour of him in the casting for the film. So that's probably why they, they didn't um, bring that up in the film. Which is, Although you know, similarly, it does say that there was no real reason why in the book why why Stormy was was his grandmother. So they just obviously in the film they're like, you know what, this isn't important. So mm. Let's just completely just remove it, it and not to worry about casting. Correct. Uh, the tagline for this film. Did you see the tagline? Well, no, I deliberately avoided it. Oh, good. It's uh, two sentences. So the first sentence is first love. Ooh. And the second sentence is last letter. Oh, okay. So <laughs> yeah. Two sentences, but four words. Okay. Correct. <laughs> um, translations. Are, I mean, a lot of the countries around the world have this literally as to all the boys part two, um, which is in mm. the subtext of, of what I saw on Netflix here as well. But in Taiwan, it was called love past progressive. I still love you, which I think mm. random. Poor translation. I think, we are beyond well. <laughs> progressive. We, we're done now. Um, and in Vietnam, it was called The Boys That Year. P.S. I Still Love You. So, um, 
yeah, some interesting little <laughs> tapes there. That is such a good name. <laughs> so uh, these are the boys I shacked up with that year. That year, that year. So the next one will probably be that year again. <laughs> <laughs> this cost this, this $18 million bucks to make. So, um, you know, on the, the high end for a rom-com, really, when you think about it, considering it doesn't really have any huge name stars in it. Um, as you mentioned, released on the 12th of Feb 2020 on Netflix, just in time for Valentine's Day, obviously. And I had a percentage match for this one, which I haven't had in a while. <laughs> um, and then I think this it? probably tells me that Netflix is way off. I have 88% match. Um, yeah, <laughs> this film. is your kind of film, Jesse. Yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm really going to love this film. So before we talk about our thoughts, uh, what were the critics and the audiences saying about this one? So I have to say that you've obviously watched the first film because we did it on the podcast. And yeah. so Netflix is obviously, did you, you mustn't have thumbs up or thumbs down. They must have just, just been like, yeah, he liked it. I got it. through the whole thing. Yeah. So they must have only yeah, liked it, yeah. Yeah, he watched it. He's got to watch the sequel here. So that's why. Um, so the audience is sitting at, a six out of ten on IMDb that is off 39,000 ratings, and it's two and a half out of five on Letterboxd. Nearly 112,000 ratings on Letterboxd. So, I mean, this this movie got eyeballs, and this 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 franchise trilogy, whatever you want to call it, people are watching it. So that, that's why that's why people that's why they're making these films. I just looked, I think I wrote down the Letterboxd for the first. <laughs> Oh god! I was like, "Wow, that sounds um, that sounds low." And I was like, "Oh yeah, we've got to completely stuff this." Um, that's all good. So in comparison, the original one had a two point nine on Letterboxd. In case you're wondering, um, Rotten Tomatoes critics, what do you reckon yeah. the critics thought of this one? The critics would have loved it. They, they did. It, they did. It's certified fresh. It sits on seventy six percent on okay. seventy two reviews. Audience though, forty percent on more than five hundred. So um, audience didn't like this as much as the first one. That is that feels backwards. Mm, <laughs> I can't believe like the it. critics liked. Yeah. Well, I know you've you I haven't seen the second one before. I know you have. So, what are you, what are your thoughts on this one? I did see this. I can't remember. I must have watched it in lockdown at some point. Obviously, I'd seen the first one. I'm sure I would have watched it with my wife. Um, so I had seen it. This was a rewatch for me. It was all right. Like they obviously milked it off the back of the success of the original. They leaned into the charm of the characters and the chemistry of, of Lara Jean and, and, and Peter and that relationship. But it's obviously a very formulaic plot. It's combined with one of my, one of my biggest gripes where characters make bad decisions to make sure that we've got some conflict and concerns that we need to resolve. It always annoys me when it happens when it's like, well, that was avoidable, but I understand why you needed to do that. Uh, but it was fine. This movie's fine. Yeah, I- I'm saying, I think I knew what I was going to get with this film. Like, you have no no question about, yeah, you've seen the first one, so I know what this one's going to be like. Same characters, same situations. I mean, it's perfect for the target audience, uh, but it's just not that great mm. a film overall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, not yeah that's, that's a good summary. And I, I think it's really hard, and I looked back on my notes from when we did the first film, I think it's really hard to actually distinguish traits in the characters or, like, be specific about these characters because they are just they're pretty generic when you think about it really um but i'm intrigued to hear what you think about some of these characters this time yeah i suppose it's more about trying to differentiate them from the first film in some capacity but with lara jean um i think she annoyed me a little bit more in this one as i said before she obviously makes poor decisions and i think it's for the sake of making poor decisions so that we can advance the plot so that we can have some conflict to resolve but she does have these constant doubts about her and Peter. 
Uh, and then she kind of wants to leave the door open with John Ambrose. There's definitely this relatable teen moment going on there, right? Like when it rains, it pours. You, you really want a boyfriend. All of a sudden, you get one. Now you got a choice of two. Like it's it's. I I get what they're trying to play out here. I get it kind of works. And but I mean, ultimately, we spend we spend this movie with Lara Jean as someone who is confused in love and romance. That's that's the movie. And a hundred minutes of that can be a little bit exhausting. I completely agree with everything you've said. I think I found her really unlikable in this film, really unlikable character because I got the idea of confusion with the feelings and the stuff like that. And like you mentioned though, like she has literally the hottest, nicest guy she could possibly have oh, a yeah. boyfriend. Like how could you not it's be catch. happy? How, like, there's, there, I can't think of anything negative about him. And uh, it's like, okay, <laughs> you've got the, the, the definition of perfection right there and you're just like oh yeah i might be tempted by this guy who i haven't seen in years because i wrote a letter to him it's like oh a bit tricky <laughs> yeah look and so it, it's it's really hard to get a sense of any other character because like do, do you think we even learn much about peter in this we kind of see glimpses of his kind of douchey man's man type behavior which isn't new but it's often juxtaposed with him doing something really sweet for lara jean because he's, he's a good boyfriend um I guess in this movie, we'll probably see more of his vulnerability and sort of the pain he feels as he's sort of dealing with the idea of being dumped and he questions how to deal with it. But this this is Lara Jean's story. So despite Peter being put in this situation, we basically only ever see LJ's perspective of his turmoil as opposed to how he actually deals with it. So it's hard to get a good idea. Yep. I, I, like I said, I think it was hard. The only thing I learned about him was that I'd probably date him. That's that's all I. <laughs> like, why why would you not? And yeah, I think that's yeah. my frustration is that, and it's probably going to lead me into John Ambrose, John Ambrose a bit because, I mean, he genuinely seemed like a nice guy too. It's not like he was had that bad oh, yeah. boy personality that entices you from something that's a little bit different to what you're experiencing because that's what you often see in these types of movies is you know oh I'm a bit tempted to see what you know the rebels like or something like that. But I mean, he's literally just as perfect as peter um but at the same time like um like how can you be tempted when they're so similar in what they are it's tricky it was like you're going from the same to the same yeah uh, stay with me on this theory i've got here like we obviously we go into this film and we're watching this film we've already seen lara jean and peter famously come together against the odds in the first movie so for better or worse as an audience we are team Lara Jean, Peter. That's that's who we, we love that couple. We, we're rooting for them regardless. So, regardless of how great John Ambrose is, yeah. um, he was always going to be viewed as that threat to this perfect couple that we swooned over in the original film, right? Because on paper, John Ambrose is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he makes a wrong move during the entire film. I would say he is smart. He's humble. He's kind. He's honest. And we discover. This is the biggest thing. He's always had a thing for Lara Jean. Like he is, he's another jackpot. But Jesse, he's not Peter. And I think I'm going to go against a lot of the negativity that I read about this film who said that she chose the wrong guy because ordinarily in a film like this, they'll bring someone into this love triangle and this person seems perfect. But then you'll discover that he's got this secret flaw and we can justify why our princess returns to her incumbent. But in this case, John Ambrose kind of has it all. He seems like the perfect fit. And when it comes to actually try on the shoe, for lack of a better term, it's just not the right fit for her. 
because it's not Peter. And I like that. I kind of like that. That works for me. That works for the romantic in me that this guy doesn't have to have this like secret flaw that he's a serial killer on the side or something because that's why I want to go back to Peter. But he's just not Peter because at the end of the day, I love Peter. And, and that works for me. I like that take. I do like that take. I think it makes sense. 100% makes sense because you do want them back together because you've spent a whole movie prior and them trying to get together. So it makes sense. I just think... Um, yeah, I don't know, like maybe for John, you needed a little bit of differentiation so that, because even the ending for me was a little bit like, oh, they've just kissed, she didn't like it, so she's off and he's just out the front of the place waiting for her. It was like, it was so rushed almost at the end too. I don't know. There's just something that was a little rushed, bit unsettling yeah. about it. So I think you're right on the, the mark with, yes, that, that makes sense and that's really good. Um, there's something just doesn't fit right about how good John was. <laughs> there's just, there's yeah, just something I, there. I just like, think, I think, I think I appreciate that it's not a cop-out, though. They didn't give you yeah. a bad trait about him that's like, oh, that's why she picked Peter. Um, and that's that's kind of brave. Yeah, good. All right. Uh, Kitty, uh, the sister Kitty, from uh, I didn't re-watch the, the original film, but from memory, she was one of the highlights in the first film. I feel like she had some good little one-liners and some banter and stuff, and it was almost like she was barely given anything in this. It was like side thought. Yeah. It almost thought that she got a little bit older and less cuter and yeah. the kind of cute, funny stuff she did wasn't really going to stick. Makes you makes you wonder how much was left on the cutting room floor with her. And they're just like, yeah, I don't know if we can do this. And they, she's kind of prominent early and then just dropped away. That makes sense. Uh, anyone else you want to talk about? I want to talk about Stormy. Um, yep. And again, very stereotypical. She's this wise life-hardened guardian angel type character but there was an amazing level of comfort that i found that came with her being kind of on lara jean's side and you know when you're a teenager and you've got all these issues and at the time they really feel like life or death but here you've got a person who's in i guess twilight of their life who seemingly doesn't take things too seriously doesn't take crap from anybody and would no doubt have faced all of these decisions that lara jean's going through on a day-to-day basis she turns out all right, and it kind of feels like every time that she's giving advice, it's like, well, it's not going to be that bad. And, and I think it it just provided that safety blanket, which was which was a nice touch in the film. Yeah, Stormy was my favorite character in this film, uh, and I think it's because I almost saw her as like that mother like figure that she didn't have, and it was nice that she had an adult who was a female who she could talk to, mm-hmm. reflect to, and almost give her that advice that you often see in a film that teenagers go to for their parents. And and most of the scenes with Stormy were scenes that stood out for me that I'll probably talk about later because it was just relatable. And like you mentioned, there was it was like a guardian angel. It was like a, a person sitting there giving you the strength and the advice to get through these tough times in life. Yeah, and that feeling when you're that age and those things are going on in your life, they feel like everything. Like, this yeah. is the biggest moment of my life. And you look back and you go, wow, it really wasn't, but it felt like it. So they captured that really well. Good. I'm, I'm going to mention Trina too, who is the dad's new love interest, because I really would have liked more of this story. I think that that was a really good B-side story that you could have had playing out a bit more in the background because it would have been nice to see, you know, this is a, a these are stories about love and romance and it would have been nice to see how the dad's dealing with new love and the complications of that and i mean we got a really good scene at the dinner table um but that mm. that story could have almost been as exciting as as lara jeans in this one um yeah maybe i don't know for sure but maybe you have to watch the third one jesse oh really oh 
I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm just I, saying. I, I, I got the feeling that they were they were leaving it there to to expand on. I mean, that's not just going to go away, right? Because I I reckon I'd like that. Mm. I'm just In, guessing though. Please don't quote me. Good guess. I'm going to quote you. <laughs> <laughs> Any other characters you wanted to talk about? No, I think we've covered them all. Good. All right. The director, Michael Fimonari. Interesting. I like you mentioned a little bit earlier on about how. He worked on the first film, um, and then this is his debut. But does a lot of work with Mike Flanagan, um, who we've covered a few films on this podcast, uh, Gerald's Game. But you know, he's done a lot of horror, like Doctor Sleep, Oculus, um, and other Netflix, like The Haunting of Hill House, uh, Midnight Mass. So interesting to go from horror into this. It's 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 a big switch. That's my biggest take out on that, right? Yeah. Like those films that you mentioned. He's yeah. he's the director of photography on all those films. It's like, hey, do you want it to direct uh, to all the boys? It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I know this stuff like the back of my hand. <laughs> it's great. And so, but those things that he's other things he's done, they've got such good visual styles, like some excellent stuff in those. True. Mm. Um. All right, let's talk about some scenes. What are they, What are the scenes did you like in this? Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to call this a scene that I liked as much as just a really cool date idea, but I like the lantern thing they did on that on that date. What a, what a cool idea and just a little lantern party where you can... I thought that was really nice. I'm, Stop shaking I'm just going to just gonna add some commentary. I have this in the questions. Surely that sort of thing is illegal. Like, think about the environment and the damage that does when they all come down and destroy and kill dolphins. All I could think about were the poor dolphins they're going, ah, choking on them. Not uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'm such a romantic though, Jesse. You know me. Yeah, fair. Um, there wasn't much in the first half of the film that I liked. I'll be honest. Um, I I got to a point where there's a scene in the treehouse with Jen and LJ, and they kind of have this like makeup makeup scene is probably the wrong word, but they have a really mature conversation about basically their fractured relationship. And I thought that was really well done. It sort of went away from the cheesy teen romance movie to, you know, a more serious teen movie tackling, you know, proper issues about two girls growing up, being friends, losing that friendship and how hard it is to try and try and mend that. And I thought it was done really, really nicely. Um, Favourite quote from the movie comes from the conversation between Lara Jean and Stormy very simple uh, question that she asked Stormy, what if he doesn't want me? And the, and the response saying, well, that'll hurt like hell. And I like that. Like, let's, let's lean into the fact that this is real at the time. You know, you're 16, 17 years old. You might be going through a breakup. You love this guy. What if he doesn't want you back? Yeah, it bloody hurts. And I thought that was really nice and really well delivered. And I agree with you that I thought the ending was a little bit rushed, but I get soppy. And when I saw Peter come around the corner, when she was rushing out of that thing, and he rocks up, Jesse, because she doesn't like, he just doesn't like driving in the snow. He remembers yeah. that she doesn't like driving in the snow. So he's there to pick her up anyway. And all of that builds up to the first, I love you. Come on, man. Like, that works. I'm all right with that. That works. Peter and Lara Good. Jean, they're supposed to be together. So I've given that one a big tick too. Good. I'm glad. There's some nice moments there. I, and I do have some stuff that I like in this. A lot of it involves Stormy, but there are some things that I like. Um, I think... Just the moment when Stormy comes on screen, I loved her in Two and a Half Men. Uh, so for her to be on screen, I was just like, ah, amazing. You are, you're on screen. You're going to make this movie for me. So that's got nothing to do with the actual movie, but I liked it. <laughs> yeah, it's something. It matters. I thought, um, 
when I, I, I laugh at this moment when Lara Jean is uh, sliding in at the old person's home and sees John and smashes the jar of candy and falls over. I actually laughed. I thought it was funny. So oh, a bit well of sarcastic comedy. Yeah. So that, that got me. I had a nice giggle. Um, yeah. I enjoyed the moment when um, Lara Jean's repeating the poem that um, that Peter had told her to Stormy and Stormy sort of continues it on. I thought that reveal that it wasn't his was just done really nicely and done really well done in a mature way that it was like come on this isn't going to be the first of the letdowns by men that you're going to experience so i thought that was good um i didn't mind that thanksgiving dinner i sort of mentioned it a little bit before about the tradition for their mum with the canned beans i thought that was nice and i would have liked more of like these little sort of initiation things that they they could do with um the dad's new partner trainer and they could do with peter as well that'd that'd be some cool things to see um because obviously they're a tight-knit family the the sisters and and the dad Mm. um and I, I laughed at the moment when Stormy says to um, Lara Jean, you know, you need to kiss the wrong man to know what's right. I thought that was funny and I thought it was clever and it was smart mm-hmm. and it added into that. What we've already talked about, the advice and knowledge that she provides for her. Yeah, nah, good. I, I liked most of them as well. Good. What didn't you like? All right, I'm going to, again, chronologically, but I, this is not something I didn't like, but I, it would, I just want to talk about this with you on the uh, on the pod because I need to talk about it with somebody. There was a really brief moment where the mail lady came and delivered mail straight to the front door and said, and said here you go, Doc. Like, in, what, in what world does that happen? Like, what a great little yeah. community they've got. <laughs> the postie drops a letter off and then the dad thanks her, not only just thanks her, but by name. He's like, thanks, Jasmine. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she called him Doc as well. Like, <laughs> who knows their postie's name? Um, I know it's a different system in America because, like, if you've got a letter to post, you put your post on your letterbox the other way around, so the postie takes the letter for you and, and and stuff like that. But wow, this is a whole new context for me. So yeah, good pickup. I, I want to live in that neighborhood though. That's that's as wholesome <laughs> as it gets. Um, but yeah, didn't didn't dislike it. Had to bring it up though. Um, I just really, really bad scene with uh, with their cousin, and they're explaining how Lara Jean has a boyfriend when they're also sitting at tea, and oh, yeah. um, her reactions, everything was it was just shocking. It was felt like it was in the wrong movie. Oh, I didn't feel it was the wrong movie. It was just really poorly done and probably didn't need to be in there. It was like the t- there was a quick ten second recap of what happened in the first movie through that conversation. It was like the Olaf in Frozen yeah. Crew where he does the recap of the whole movie in ten seconds, but it wasn't very good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At least Olaf like is very self-aware of what he's doing <laughs> in that moment. Yeah, um, this bothered me in the first film. Lara Jean looks nothing like her sister Margot, yet Stormy recognizes her straight away. She's like, "You're Margot's sister." It's like, "How the hell do you know that?" <laughs> they don't look anything alike. It bothered me in the first film that they were sisters. It bothers me again in this film because they brought it up again. So I have to mention it. Um, yeah, there was a scene where Lara Jean was like floating through the corridor and singing the lyrics of the song that was being played like all of a sudden it was a film clip for a music video i don't know where that came from but that didn't work (laughs) that i'm gonna add to that because that that whole montage it was like she was purposely putting on gray clothes to show how depressed she was it was it was really bad it was really bad (laughs) yeah that's a stinker um they had this weird breakup scene they kind of like broke up a couple of times before it was like officially broken up where they're at the aquarium and then Peter just kind of takes a necklace from her and just like slips away into the darkness. <laughs> also strange that he that he took the gift back. I don't know. I'm not a fan of that in general. Doesn't, and I don't think that's a Peter thing either. Um, <laughs> that was weird. And just in general, I felt it was very strange that the big 
stage stealing moment was them dressing up and meeting for a retirement home ball that they were volunteering at. Like that was the big end of pro, end of year prom type thing. Prom, I thought yeah, that was so strange. <laughs> they yeah, get cool. dressed up and they settle down and they're just like serving non-alcoholic punch. Like that's <laughs> good call. Good call. Um, I'm happy because I've got a few different ones. Um, I think they go to a fair like um, Lara Jean and Peter and there's like the rides and the games and buying a snow globe. That was just so boring. Like, just generic crap that you don't need to add into this film. We've already seen them do the get to know you sort of stuff. We don't need to see it again. Um, the track. Is that like a montage? Back, I can barely remember it. Oh, they, they play like games and Ferris wheels going in the background. It was just. Oh, no, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did yeah. the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, at the, on Valentine's Day, the track and field where, um, you know, she's a bit embarrassed with her gift to start off with, but he gives her a necklace. And the way that she said this was so weird. She's like, can you please put it on me? I was just like, oh, this is gross. Like, <laughs> if you're trying to be romantic, he'll put it on yourself. You don't need to ask him to do it. Um, <laughs> the friend, uh, I think the friend was Chris. Chris was saying, when she's had yep. a conversation with Lara Jean and she's like um, giving her advice to rev her own engine before letting anyone under her hood. It just felt really out of context for the rest it of this so film. So did. So out of context so because did. there was no follow, like apart from the base jumping discussion, there was no follow up into okay yeah. if this is going to be about a teenager having to deal with those issues and you know and they sort of touch on in the car like I'm not ready to base jump but that was it it wasn't like it was a big deal so it just didn't really fit with the the sugary sweet cleanness of the rest of the movie. Um, yeah, the whole time capsule thing. I mean, it was in the ground for six years. Six years, like such big memories six years ago. <laughs> Imagine digging up the time capsule after six years. Oh, my Lincoln Park TV. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's horrendous. Um, and the same with um, John Ambrose revealing that he got that name because of Lara Jane and they've both got <laughs> two names in three words. <laughs> like, who writes that? Like, it might look all right in a novel, but you don't say that out loud. If you say that out loud, you've got some, you've got some issues. <laughs> this is so I do, good. I really didn't like the hot tub scene from the first film being revealed that Peter was waiting for Jen. Um, oh, yeah. I, I just felt it really ruined that moment. That was a memorable moment from the first film. And point. it just sort of ruined that moment from the first film in here. It's like, we need to make as many connections as we can. And I don't know. I don't know if it was needed. Um, they tried too hard then, for that conflict. They tried too hard this whole film to force that yeah. conflict. And then just snowing in April, please. You, like, you don't need to have every single season in one movie. Like, you don't need Valentine's Day and fake Thanksgiving crash, Easter crash, snow. It was just, I don't know, just didn't really fit for me. She doesn't like driving in the snow, Jesse. Yeah, I know. And that's another really important thing that we have to draw from the first movie. I get it. I get it. Um, <laughs> okay. Themes, ideas. What was this film saying? Yeah, I mean, this film is definitely trying to tell you that relationships are confusing and you're going to have your doubts and you're going to have your differences. And you just have to make sure you don't take for granted the connection that you do have with someone. Um, I also wonder whether there's this idea of being brave with love particularly this message for teenagers obviously the letters kind of were the reason why she ended up with peter she never knew that john ambrose liked her all along but obviously getting out there made sure she found that out so i guess it's an idea of stop living in your head and put yourself out there and see what can happen and be brave enough because the the hurt's necessary but the hurt doesn't last forever um those kind of ideas were probably the strongest ones yeah, I mean, 
emotions and insecurity too like you know what does it mean to be in the relationship what does it mean to be a good girlfriend and like what is love what is heartbreak what's the difference between fantasy and reality i think we heard that in the voiceover you know that happy happy ever after doesn't really exist especially when you've got to deal with things like truth and honesty and and promises that you can't always keep um that these two you know try to link back to those the promises they're made to each other and i think the last sort of thing for me is that letting go of childhood a little bit too and what the past relationships have meant for them. Like, you know, what the, the past relationships with John when they were in their youth, the, the friendship that Lara Jean had with Jen when they were younger as well. It's about letting these go and, and moving forward because we're all a little bit old. We're six years older. We don't listen to Linkin Park anymore. Mm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Linkin Park is like not, not six years ago, Jesse. <laughs> Isn't that what they said? That was my Linkin Park CD in the in the time capsule. Oh, maybe. Yeah. It was, it was a Linkin Park remember. ticket. I'm sure it was. I'm not just doing a ticket. You're right. You're it was right. a Linkin Park ticket. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> You're right. Oh, so that's funny. You're right. Um, all right. Well, what did you take away from this one? This isn't a big takeaway kind of film. Obviously, it's the sequel and it's in the middle of a trilogy. But what I did like, and you talked about this in your scenes, I did enjoy the idea of fakes giving and the buy-in that the whole family has from it. And I think I love the idea of a, a family tradition that just means something to your family. And I thought it was really nice that the way it came out on screen. Good. Yeah. I... I think for me, the whole voiceover thing possibly could have been ditched in this film. I don't know if we necessarily needed it because it didn't really add anything this time around. And I think you need it. You've, you've got these characters that have been built that people respond to, obviously, through the first film. So you need to trust the audience to um, believe the performances and deliver what the audiences need to know rather than have a voiceover to keep us going through. I think that's for me. Yeah, it's almost in there because they want it to feel like it's part of the same series. And I'm assuming, yep. obviously, her narration in the book is, is a very big, big part of it. I'd say so, too. Um, yeah. IMDb. Did you go into IMDb to check anyone out? Well, I did. I, you didn't have to do my one because you knew immediately. But when old Stormy came on, I was like, <laughs> man, who's that? She's so familiar. And I'm thinking, like, she must be so famous. I don't know what I'm talking about. And then I realized that she's only really on Two and a Half Men that I know. And <laughs> yeah. I've obviously just seen her on Two and a Half Men. I was like, oh, there you go. That, that way. She was a pretty similar character in a sense. Yep. <laughs> Very true. Um, I had to check my notes from the first one to make sure that I hadn't already done this IMDb, but I needed to look up um, Trevor, the character Trevor, um, played by Ross Butler. And I'm sure I've looked at the, he's in 13 Reasons Why. And that's what I recognize him from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it's from. All right. Any I didn't questions? know his name was Trevor in this film. <laughs> I reckon it's touched on once. Um, that was in the first first one. They were in the pool together. She went to his house and stuff. Is that this movie? Yeah, that might have been thirteen reasons why. <laughs> he was in the first one, though. He was in the first one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Any questions or not? Um, yeah, this is a serious question, Jesse. We are going to do the third movie on this podcast in it's the 348th netflix movie so it's going to be 140 weeks from now which is june 11 2025 give or take that's probably when we're going to be recording it so do you watch number three before a podcast do you have to know what happens no. you're gonna wait three years i'll wait i'll wait for three years 2025 that'll be okay. almost in my 40s so i'm looking forward to it <laughs> <laughs> um, like i mean yeah i was gonna say Obviously, the first one still is better than this one for you. Yep. Yep. First one was pretty good. Um, this is another one just about age. Like, this made me feel really old. I don't know if I made you feel old. When um, the kids in the film reminisce about how people were obsessed with Michael B. Jordan and Creed. 
<laughs> yeah, because Michael I, B. Jordan in Creed wasn't long ago, was it? No. <laughs> that's why I felt really old. I was like, if kids are... Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, last question I had was the, the time capsule again. We're going to bring it back to the time capsule. They dig this time capsule up on someone's property. Like, do they ask for permission? Do they I just thought... legally... <laughs> Whose house was it now? I... I think they know the people because they kind of said like the so-and-sos are selling it. Like, I feel like it's almost like a community cubby house that everyone sort of gets to use. But it's it, they probably should have been referenced a bit better or they might have said like wave to them when they came in or something. Yeah, it's probably like how you know who your postman is. You just know everyone. <laughs> True. This I want to live in this neighborhood. Don't get me wrong. Hey, another question. Do you think Lana Condor is officially Lara Jean and... I can't, and you can't see her playing any other role anymore. I, I thought you were, have I stuffed her name up at multiple stages throughout the yeah, No, 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 no yeah. like, um, she's never really done anything else. It's only been a few years, but she's kind of not, never done anything else. And she's like, she's Lara Jean for me. Yeah, that's probably true. Super true. Yeah. Unless she has a breakout role in something that it's a more, it's got to be a more, she's got to do something more serious, real serious. She does. Yeah, exactly. All right, it's uh, time for us to give our final rating out of five for this film. What's your final thoughts? Well, we did discuss that this was a rewatch for me, and I think initially I was a tad harsh, so I have softened a bit on a second viewing. Um, you know, do we need this sequel? Not really, but I'm kind of okay with the fans of this being able to revel in the world of Lara Jean for another chapter. It got It got a fair bit wrong, but... It still won me over in the ending, so I'm going to give it two and a half stars. So you've upped your rating. I have. Nice, very good. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's it's another addition to the Netflix teen rom com category that they know it's going to get watched by all the demos that they want, and that's all that really counts, I guess. Um, I mean, if you don't fit into that target group, there's probably not an awful lot you're going to take out of it. It's not really that original. It's nothing like, it's not really, really sweet. And I think my issue was that I just didn't really like um, Lara Jean in this this film. But I, I gave the original two and a half. This was worse than that. So I'm giving it a two out of five. <laughs> it's going to be really hard to like it if you didn't like Lara Jean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, we do have socials. We've got Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Comment on our posts. I just wanted to put out there. Is there anything that you're excited about from the third film? Is like I, I'm, I'm excited based on what you said before about possibly following the dad's love story a bit. That'd be nice. But is there anything that you you want to see in it, or anything that might excite you about it? Um, I do love the dad. He's so wholesome. Like what a great dude. Um, we didn't get enough of him in this movie, but I don't know. I like. I'm worried that it's going to be more of the same with this, like milking the Lara Jean Peter, and whether they're going to stay together. Wouldn't it be nice if like they had an issue? that them as a couple had to sort of help with someone else. And their their relationship was kind of sturdy throughout all this, but I feel like it's not going to, but that, that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be nice to see them not having too many complications around their own relationship um, in the next one because we've, we've had two films of that already. Yeah. Good. Uh, we're back next week for another film. It's an international film from Germany this time from 2020. It's another rom-com. And it's called Izzy and Aussie. It's directed by Oliver Cannell and it stars Dennis Moen, Lisa Vicari, Christina Heck, and Pegha Afedoni. So that's what we've got next week. Very nice. Yes. So um, other than that, we've only got one more of this trilogy to go, which is uh, 
There's light at the end of the tunnel. I'll keep my seat warm for 2025 when we when we punch it out. I really do like that you worked out how far away it is because that is a long time. <laughs> I don't do a lot of research for this podcast, Jesse, but I did type in how what is the date 140 weeks from today, and it and that's what it gave me. <laughs> well, I, I hopefully we're still going strong three years later. That'll be good. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. All right, I will uh, speak to you soon. See you, mate.